The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Black Death. (laughs) Again, if the conversations before these shows ever made air... Point of viewer would be out of business. I think we want, we'd one up point of viewer. One up, try about three up, especially nights like this when I'm sober. Come on now. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to March Madness to the Max Part Two Electric Boogaloo Part Two. And yes, we are calling that in the description, Brandon, just so you know. Okay. March Madness to the Max Two Electric Boogaloo Two. Because that is the verbatim title that we used for the first one of these that we did last year. It is a little bit more advanced than we were last year, however, as this is not a Sweet 16 preview. This is a Final Four preview, as schedules did not align for us to do a Sweet 16 episode. However, we will discuss our re-bracketed finale from the Sweet 16 None of us have done very well in that, so we will once again repick the games in the Final Four as well, because of course we will. But first, let's talk tournament here. Eric, I'm going to start with you. For the longest time, oh, it no, looks like... we got on here? <laughs> Do we not get introductions anymore? No, we don't. No, are we, are we, denied. Are we, so, are we so Bush League now that we don't get introductions? Are well, we the we damn can't... AFL? No, we're worse. We're the AAF. Going out of business. No, at this point, we're the National Gridiron League. We don't know when the hell we're really going to be big time. (laughs) 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 All right. Jason raises a valid point. Perhaps introductions are in order. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the co host turned executive producer, Brendan Biscabing. Hello, hello, hello. The executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins. Besides, the only thing that's black death around here are my brackets, so I guess it kind of applies? I I think that applies to all of us. (laughs) Well, you still had had a dog in the fight on the re-bracket. Yes, I do. Actually, too. We'll talk about that that in a second. And the chairman of the W2M network. Chair Cornholio. I need TV for my bunghole. And a Buffalo Wild Wings order to go. <laughs> I shit That's fire right. out my bungle. Bungle, bungle. Shit fire out my bungle. <laughs> That's right, some bitch. I know you listen. Deal with it. Anyway, <sighs> let's get into it now. Let's talk tournament, shall we? Eric, it all happened again. <laughs> no, we are not getting into your bunk. Never mind. Eric, I'm back, back on task, Jason. Eric, it almost happened again. Virginia was down 16 to Gardner-Webb in the first half of their first-round game. Eventually, the Cavaliers rebounded and have now stamped their place in Minneapolis in the Final Four. But for how much of that game do you think Tom Bennett was worried about his job security? I would say pretty much through about the first 30 minutes because think about it. You're the first team ever as a one seed now the tournament has been 64 teams or more since 1985 
Keep that in mind. Even that very year, Princeton got close. That game against Georgetown was 50-49. to 49. So you, of all this, after all this time, are the first to finally lose, and you nearly do it back-to-back. I mean, no. I was going to make a reference, but no. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Virginia, Virginia would have been the laughing stock of college basketball if that had happened again. Uh, not just Virginia, but the ACC as a conference would have taken a massive hit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. Well, it wasn't just Virginia that had trouble in their first-round match in the ACC as a number one seed. Similar to the Cavaliers, the Tar Heels only won their game by 15 over Iona, and it was a lot closer than 15 for most of that game, too. In fairness, Iona does come out of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, the same conference that produced Manhattan back in the mid-90s, who were knocking off people as 13 and 14 seeds on a pretty regular basis. Mm-hmm. They and were the some Ma- pesky the, Jaspers. The MAC is a good conference. Jason. Present. Seton Hall. Wofford. Sucks. Wofford I like. I like Wofford a lot. <laughs> I'm intentionally going to you here because we go back to the conversation we had. You laid you laid Wofford and you laid the four points to Brandon even though the line was only three. Wofford won that game by 16. Yeah, and I didn't rub it in because I'm a respectable individual. But Brandon, you can go fuck yourself and when you don't listen to me. Screw Fletcher McGee because he go he sets the record for three pointers in that game and then he proceeds to go ice cold against Kentucky. Come on. I I told all of y'all Kentucky was winning that game, but nobody listened to me. Yeah, well, when you got a coach that you're signing to a damn lifetime contract, you're supposed to win. <laughs> Alright, let's discuss some of the upsets from round one of the tournament here. Let's talk about the South region, specifically the 12 and 13 seeds, Oregon and UC Irvine. Had I known that Wade was not playing for Kansas State in that game against UC Irvine, I would have taken the Anteaters. Because I do believe that Wade missed K-State's first-round tournament game last year when Kansas State lost as well. He did. Or not their, not their uh, first-round game, their third-round game. Because they lost in the... Elite Eight, I believe it was, and that was a game that Wade missed. I knew it was uh, – I was thinking it was first round, too. I thought he missed the entire tournament last year. No, they beat uh, UMBC in the second round last year. I just remember looking at the bracket there. It was uh, – God, I think it was Oklahoma State in the first round, UMBC in the second, and then they lost to uh, – was it Nova in the region? No, it wasn't Nova. Oh, uh, Loyola Chicago. Mm. In the uh, regional final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I refused to acknowledge last year's tournament. Well, I'd ask you about the Hurricanes in this year's tournament, Eric, but <laughs> we wouldn't be having a conversation. Hey, hey, the women's team had another damn good year, and we would probably still be dancing had we not gotten duped against Arizona State. But that's a whole nother story. I was going to bring up their second round loss to Arizona State in the women's tournament, but you did it for me, and I appreciate that. (sighs) Jason, let's talk about your team, shall we? And then we'll get into the disaster that was my two teams. 
Apparently, yeah. this is one Zion who does not go to the promised land. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was. Oh, uh, well, I mean, you can't lay it on Zion. I think um, the the Michigan State game. I even said it in the chat. Um, we'll work backwards. I said if anybody's going to upset Duke, it's going to be Michigan State. Um, him and they, Duke just couldn't get on the same page down the stretch. Uh, you've seen a lot of you've seen a couple of egos get in the way, a couple of four shots from players that don't need to be shooting with one on three coverage on a fast break with a wide open lane, but we won't go into that. <clears throat> I, I called Michigan right. State winning that game from the beginning of the tournament. Well, nobody listens to you because, you know, you pick Seton Hall. Um, but anyway. Um, Rough. Uh, they um, they should have lost two, two previous times. Um, oh, UCF should have beaten them, and if gravity hadn't been in Duke's favor, they would have. Uh, I don't know what was up with the magic... Um, Ball gravitational pull away from the rim. I don't know what was up in that UCF game. That was Jason. Just... I will tell you one word: Nike. I, That's I all I'm gonna say. I mean, I think like there was some Cameron crazies on one side, and they all blew in the same direction at the exact same time, and it can... is that like the that centrifugal force to throw the ball out of out of orbit or something, because there's no that's way that the shot should not fall. Is that like the Carolina Panther fans who opened the cans of Pepsi to make the kicker hit the upright? Yes. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or Cody Parkey. I mean, anyway. Um, <laughs> well, you mentioned UCF. Uh, you could make the argument that the Virginia Tech game should have gone to overtime as well. It should have. Um, speaking of overtime, you- we had some we had some nice overtime games. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the overtime games here shortly because one of those teams that went to overtime in a game that nobody expected to go to overtime here was the Purdue and Tennessee game. But before we do that, we do have a couple of more upsets to discuss, and then I have to discuss the upsetting performances of my teams, one of which I predicted to have an early exit. The other one, I was pissed about their early exit. But in fairness, it might have happened to the hottest team in this tournament. Let's first discuss a couple more of the upsets. Eric. Mm-hmm. He likes to Jason likes to call himself Ginger Domus. Yep. I feel, like, I feel like me and you can lay claim to the term Nostradamus for the five twelves on the left side of the bracket with Liberty over Mississippi State and Murray State over Marquette. Well the reason why I especially picked those two I was fortunate enough to see a little bit of Ja Morant play, who, by the way, triple-double, only the ninth time in NCAA tournament history, throwing that out there. And the first since, God, what's his name? He plays for the, he plays for the uh, Warriors now. I forget the player, but it was, what, 2013? Was it, uh, was it Thompson? No, that doesn't sound right. Was it Durant? No, Durant was in the uh, late 2000s. Oh, okay. You go ahead and talk, Eric, and I'll look that up. Because with something of that and how he motivates and moves that team, and 
for all the talk, especially about uh, Seton Hall, let's face it, the Big East was kind of relatively eh, so I knew Marquette would easily be sniped. In the Liberty, I got to say, while the SEC, your Kentucky, now your surprise Auburn, Tennessee, they had a lot of stuff right at the top, but that punch didn't really come from Mississippi State from what I had seen. So I'm like, I don't trust either of them in the tournament, and I proved to be right, and so did you. Oh, it, it, it's just, mm, had only Liberty proven me right one more time and not lost to Virginia Tech, though. <laughs> that disappointed well, me. I had Florida State beating Murray State, which goes against everything I hold dear as a Florida Gator fan. However, Florida State was able to shut down John Morant. Morant has officially declared for the NBA draft, and everything I'm hearing has him as a top five pick. Yeah, he's right in the mix with the Zion, R.J. Barrett, and pretty much your top Duke guys. He's right in there. The question for me becomes... Would you consider him the first mid-major pick since the 90s? Because do we consider Gonzaga to be a mid-major? Yet another Elite Eight for the Gonzaga Bulldogs here, going out to Texas Tech in the Elite Eight by a 75-69 to final. Jason, I'll ask you first. Do you still consider Gonzaga to be a mid-major college basketball school, or would you consider them a major basketball program? I'm still going to say they're upper-tier mid-major. I mean, <clears throat> they, they've had a nice run. For a little while, they're 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 on that cusp, you know. One year they could be, one year they could be phenomenal, and be considered a major threat. The next year, you see them fall off. They don't have that real high consistencies that you see in predominant teams like your Dukes, Kentuckys, North Carolinas, Floridas. I mean, but I think they're right on the cusp. Um, if, if they can continue for at least two more years, I'll put them in that conversation. Brandon, do you consider Gonzaga to be a mid-major program? I I still consider them to be a mid-major program just simply because of the conference that they're in. But, I mean, they are one of those teams that, you know, bucked the trend of, you know, yes, we're in a mid, mid-major conference, but, you know, we're a top-caliber uh, competitor throughout the NCAA, and they're one of those stories that, you know, um, if they, like, if they had a football team, they'd be in a major conference right now. Um, Or if they were further east, they'd probably be in the Big East. Yeah, I would argue that maybe a conference such as the Pac-10 might not be too far off in order to add them for at least basketball purposes. I mean... You could you could certainly make the argument that the Pac-12 is as down in college basketball as maybe it's ever been mm-hmm. at this point right now. Yeah, I, Eric, I would. <clears throat> I was about to Eric, say I would completely agree. <clears throat> Excuse me, because they are a very very high caliber but mid major team in a mid major program because they're in the West Coast Conference mm-hmm. now. If they were to pull like a Wichita State and move over to the American, if Gonzaga were to move into the Pac-12, is it basketball only? 
they would not only bring up that conference, but they would really give themselves a lot more legitimacy and much, much better recruiting in the Pacific Northwest, even better competing against like a Washington, Washington State. That would have so much more of a draw, and that would provide that stability and potential continuance and building of a basketball dominance in a dynasty. Wait, Wichita State is now in the American as a basketball-only school? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so ironic. That has been a thing. (laughs) That's so ironic, considering the whole reason why they broke away in the first place. Okay, two things to discuss. One, the triple-double was Draymond Green. Uh, Draymond Green? Yes. Okay. He was the last one before John Morant to have an NCAA tournament triple-double. Second, I don't consider Gonzaga to be a mid-major in college basketball. And the reason I say that is because they are consistently at or near the top of the top 25 polls. They are consistently, easy for me to say, at or near the top of the final recruiting rankings from all of the major from all of the major recruiting services, they consistently battle for ones, twos, and three seeds now. If you were to ask me this question five years ago, yes, Gonzaga was still a mid-major. But after three straight years of being ones, twos, and no lowers than threes, I don't think you could say that Gonzaga is a mid-major in college basketball anymore. But here's the key difference, and yes, we haven't seen it yet, but if they start to slump, they'd drop like a rock. Yeah, because look at, for example, Butler. Mm -hmm. They had those great back-to-back years, national championship game. Then they just flat-out disappeared. And And that's even when joining a major conference. Exactly. Well, that's a step up. Oh, it's ahead, a step Harry. up in comp- it was a step up in competition for Butler into the Big East, which I think has taken its toll on their program. That was a big fish in a little pond as compared to being a little fish in a bigger pond in the Big East. But this actually leads to my question. Going into the committee's mentality before the tournament, if they won and beat St. Mary's to win their conference tournament, the bubble would have been fine. But even though the committee admitted that loss shrank them, shrank that bubble because they had to put Gonzaga in. Now, would you have had that same sort of philosophy with your idea of them being in your mind a major basketball program? And would you have also kept them as a number one seed after that going into the tournament? I wouldn't have. They proved me wrong, I, but I wouldn't. I would have. And the reason I say it, I would have is because throughout the course of this entire season, there were very few teams that showed as much consistency top to bottom in their play that Gonzaga did. Yes, Gonzaga lost, what was it, three times, I believe? Yeah, three times. And one of those losses was a big loss, 60-48 to 48 to St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference Final. But that means only two other teams beat them throughout the entirety of the college basketball season. And one of those two teams to beat them was a fellow Sweet 16 school in Tennessee. Okay. That's a reasonable argument. Really can't uh, counter that. <laughs> Jason can kind of discuss this as well, because if I'm not mistaken, Jason, it was the battle for Atlantis that Gonzaga beat Duke to win the, tor- the tournament this year. It, it was. 
and I'm, I'm where we're not discussing that. Um, so I'm just going to set over and eat my eat my humble pie. I feel like Gonzaga doesn't get the credit that it deserves as an NCAA basketball franchise. I think oh, that no, these it guys are, doesn't. So no. The problem, though, is that the problem, though, is that the reputation that Gonzaga has as a program and one that has constantly come back and bit me in bracket after bracket after bracket is they cannot get to that next level. To Eric, Jason, and Brandon's point of them not being a anything above a mid-major, the argument that you could make to that is they have still never been to a Final Four. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. They're that <clears throat> team that they make it, they're very consistent, but they just can't quite get over that hump. You can put them in your bracket into that second weekend, but that's when they tap out, mm-hmm. if they get that far. My NCAA tournament final this year, we talked about it on the on the uh, first episode of March Madness to the Max this year. My NCAA tournament final was Gonzaga and Kentucky. <laughs> I, lost, I lost both of those teams in the Elite Eight. I, I, I swear, and I mentioned this, if anybody's ever seen the Childish Gambino This Is America video, my bracket was the choir right there singing along, everything was going great. And then that second weekend was like Childish Gambino busting through the door. If you don't know what happens next, go look at that video. You will understand entirely. All right, back to my teams now, because we were going to kind of discuss this as well. Jason, you've pretty much adopted a team in this tournament. I have. And that team made its original statement in the round of 32 when the Auburn Tigers absolutely bitch-slapped my Kansas Jayhawks. That This is true. Um, and the reason why I have adopted Auburn is because of Okiki, uh, horrific injury, a great kid, positive attitude, was having a hell of a game. Um, as soon as he went down, I, I think I sent it to you guys immediately. I said there when he's ACL and MCL. Um, it was confirmed it was an ACL injury. I don't know if they came out later and said there was any damage to the MCL, but I knew it was a, a horrific ACL injury. It was really similar to the one I suffered when I was 13 years old. God, that was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I mean Chimo. this Auburn team. Oh, go ahead. This this Auburn team has something special. It is they're they're a very they was very underrated. I mean nobody was giving them credit, but they have a lot of heart and they have a reason to play together. And they play an amazing team oriented game. Not to mention, let's also talk about what an what a excellent job that Bruce Pearl has done there. This was a guy that was basically ran out of Tennessee, got the job with Auburn, and now has put them into the Final Four. And, I mean, I, I wasn't really familiar with uh, Bruce Pearl up till this season, this tur- actually this tournament. But, uh, yeah, I think it was you that pointed it out here. The post-game interview when Okiki got hurt 
was he was very emotional when they asked him about it. I mean, you could see that he was accepting the fact that it was a really bad injury, but he didn't want to he didn't want the injury to overshadow the victory. But he did touch on it. He was very emotional and like I said, Harry, you pointed it out that he's a very emotional coach regardless. And that just added to it. And that's something you don't see anymore. You don't see a coach have that kind of emotion toward his players and toward big games. I mean, Coach K is pretty much, he's used, he, he acts like he's done it before. You don't really see a lot of emotion out of him. But, I mean, I'll use him as an example because I'm a, you know, my, a Duke fan since the early 90s. But Pearl brought back a, um, a mystique that college coaches have been lacking, in my opinion, lately. You know who I kind of got a vibe from Bruce Pearl watching that interview with? The interview? Because I, I didn't see the interview about Okiki originally, and I mentioned that in the group chat, and then I went and watched it, and I saw what you were referring to. You know what kind of vibe I got there? And Eric, you've been the college basketball fan the longest out of all of us here. Maybe you can agree or disagree with me on this one. I got a Jim Valvano vibe. Mm. I, I completely agree. And he also kind of had that personality at Tennessee. Very well connected and tied in with his players. I still even remember the whole not so I found it funny. Very few other people did. Kind of a joke that he had while at Tennessee talking about some of his players. So it's like he gets it. And now he gets it even more. But he's like, hey, we know we have our guy and kind of like our fallen brother, but we're all going to rally around him and keep this going and have him there with us. And even when I saw him like being wheeled out just so he could still be there and support his team, that was even more of a unifying force. And I'm thinking, okay, this team has it just like that Valvano team did back in 83. Well, not only that, you could also tell that the momentum in that game shift once, shifted once Okiki ended up behind the bench there. Because if I'm not mistaken, it was like 10 minutes left in the first half when Okiki came into the arena, and Auburn was down like six to Kentucky at that point. It, it was a little bit of a tussle. In Kentucky, they were going with that more of an inside game, but they were starting to get hot. And Auburn didn't quite have the answer yet. So that major momentum shift. And I, to throw something else out there also, I want to give some credit to UNC. Uh, a total class act by their players that was on the floor. When he went down, when they was taking him off the court, every single UNC player that was on the court went over and showed support, gave him a hug, you know, just just to let him know that they they feel for him and was mm-hmm. wishing him best. That's something you don't see, and I mean, in all honesty, it's something you don't see in college basketball anymore. It's a lost, <laughs> it's a lost art. Uh, yeah, see, he's even pissed off about it. Um, Thank you, Wilford. It's it's a uh, it's a lost art. You don't see that kind of sportsmanship. You see a lot of prima donnas, and I, and like I said. I'm in no way a UNC fan, but that was a class act um, by their by their players. 
allow me to explain this from my perspective here. That wasn't just a UNC class act thing. That was a Roy Williams thing. One, oh, of the, yeah. one of the biggest things that Roy Williams instilled at his players at Kansas was respect for your opponents. One of the biggest things that Roy Williams has instilled at UNC is respect for your opponents. You don't trash talk. You don't showboat. showboat. You go out there and you get the job done. That is a Roy Williams thing just as much as it is a North Carolina thing. And respect and class. I mean, that's really what Roy Williams was about. I mean, go all the way back for honoring Dean Smith by going to play tears in his eyes and going four corners at North Carolina for in the it was a regular season game, but right after Smith passed. So it's another one of those cases to where the team matches the personality of the coach. Mm -hmm. And Roy Williams had the right personality to have his players act that way in that situation. Because it's not just not in college basketball. You hardly see that in a whole bunch of sports, period. Mm-hmm. Just a general class act. Speaking of class acts, let's talk Tom Izzo and Michigan State going back to the Final Four here. Michigan State shut down Duke and Zion Williamson in the final of the, I wouldn't say it was the East Regional, 68-67. Okay, it wasn't so much a shut but at the same time, um, you can make the argument that Michigan State has the most momentum going into this Final Four, taking out the tournament's number one overall seed. Jason, oh, I know definitely. you're a little bit biased here because of your Duke affiliation, but what specifically about Tom Izzo's coaching performance against the Blue Devils impressed you the most? He did exactly what you have to do against him. You slowed the ball down. You, you attacked when needed. You... They was lights out. I mean, they traded plenty of buckets back and forth. You never let Duke control the tempo. You kept the tempo slow, methodical, and when you needed to run in spurts, you did. Um, you kept you 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 kind of played into the ego aspect of uh, RJ and Zion. Um, it was. You you kind of poke the bear to say by making them have to rely on each other and take control, but never backing off enough to let them take control. You you gave them that false sense of false sense of hope that they one of them could take over and left it on on them to see which one was going to step up and take over, which one was going to put their ego aside. And you use the egos against them. Brandon, any thoughts about the Michigan State Duke game? You said yourself that you picked Michigan State in this tour and this out of this bracket in your original predictions and in your rebracket as well mm-hmm. as it ended up coming to fruition. Yeah, I mean I just you know, Michigan State is always a hard out. Like you mentioned, Tom Izzo, one of the best coaches in college basketball. Um I just I could just see it where Duke was going to come in there kind of thinking, okay, we got through, you know, everybody, we can get through Michigan State, and Michigan was Michigan State was going to say not so fast. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Eric, I would argue that it was to advantage Michigan State going into that game as well, given the fact that Duke had that down-to-the-wire fingernail biter against Virginia Tech, and Michigan State blew out a uncoached and with 
significant injuries LSU team in their Sweet 16 game. Well, not just that, and it wasn't just that particular nail-biter. It's a little bit of a fun fact. Not only would Duke, they were going to be, or going for, winning a national championship with the lowest three-point shooting percentage ever, they were going to be, had they won it all, just the fourth team ever to win a national championship having dealt with multiple one-possession games prior to the Final Four. Not something that would not have been done since Villanova played the perfect game against arch-rival Georgetown in 85. Valvano's 83 team also did it. The first one was Texas Western back in 66. You know them now as UTEP. So both of those games, UCF and Virginia Tech, how that happened, those are just incredibly draining. Michigan State had the energy. Cassius, he was on fire. And also, like Jason said, didn't let Zion take over. Didn't let RJ Bear take over. Had to make it a team effort. Michigan State was just better than that. They were better prepared. So, for Krzyzewski, he's got to wait wait another year at least to break John Wooden's record for most Final Four appearances. They will meet Texas Tech in the Final Four as the Red Raiders took out the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Jason, as the resident Big 12 apologists on this show, were you surprised to see Texas Tech as the team to represent the Big 12 in this year's Final Four? They came in as a three-seed and co-Big 12 champions with Kansas State going 14-4 and in the regular season. I, I have no idea. I kind of got sidetracked what you just said. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Texas Tech, your thoughts on them being in the final four, representing um, the Big 12, coming in as co-Big 12 champions at 14 and 4 this season? Um, Texas Tech, I don't know how, how I feel about them, honestly. Um, they're really sporadic. They got hot at the right time. Uh, I didn't get to watch a lot of Big 12 basketball this year uh, because, you know, I had, with work and, you know, coaching basketball myself, I really didn't get to watch much Big 12 unless it was highlights or anything. And I I really didn't get a, uh, a good gauge on Texas But, like I said, they got hot at the right time. So, I mean, they're shooting the ball well. They're playing – they're playing a great defensive scheme. Uh, they're moving the ball, and I think they're shoot. They're shooting. I want to say they have to be shooting in the probably the low 60s, the mid 60s from the from the field, and they're they're hitting a lot of their free throws, which is a key to any game. I mean, if you can hit your foul shots, you're gonna you're gonna at least stay close. And their guards, uh, their guards have impressed me in the games I have watched. I will read this sound, this bit from the USA Today tournament preview here, and this still, this still applies today to what Jason just said about their defense. After losing the bulk of the team that made a run to the Elite Eight last season, the Red Ra- Red Raiders rebuilt with key transfers and the emergence of sophomore guard Jarrett Culver, Big Twelve Player of the Year. 
This is the key part to point out, though, that Jason just brought up. The Red Raiders' stifling defense. They led the nation, holding opponents to 36.8% shooting and ranked second in shooting and scoring defense, holding opponents to only 58.6 points a game is the backbone. The reason that this applies even further than what Jason said, Eric, is the only team in the country to allow fewer points a game than uh, Texas Tech did. Do you know who it was? Auburn? Michigan. Oh. Who Texas Tech blew out in the Sweet 16, 63 to 44. Yeah, that one I really did not see coming. I was complete Michigan all the way making to the final four and then they just not even not making their shots it got to the point to where they weren't even trying and couldn't get a good look to save their life that defense just stifled them in the second half so I was just like oh that's out so it begins it wasn't just the second half. They held Michigan to an all-time Michigan tournament low for points and a half in the first half of that game. In the first half of that game, Michigan only scored 16. Okay. Their previous low was 18. Talk about so, a sweet 16. Grown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, mm. He's the producer. We can't hang up on him. Believe me, if we could, I'd consider it. All right. Um, you know, Brandon, we made a huge deal last year about UMBC doing what they did to Auburn, mm-hmm. 74 to 54, in the first ever 16 over a one. You could argue that redemption, thy name is Virginia, as the Cavaliers go to this year's Final Four, taking out Purdue in the Elite Eight in overtime, 80 to 75. This is a this is a Virginia team that has struggled at points in this tournament, though. Mm-hmm. Oregon, they only beat Oregon by four in the Sweet 16. Purdue took them to overtime there, and now they get a very up-tempo Auburn team here in the Final Four. Don't give me your prediction yet. I just want to get your thoughts on a hole in Virginia here. Do you think they've officially reached redemption from last year's UMBC debacle, or is this a team that has to make or win a national championship to avenge what happened to them last year? I think they definitely have redeemed themselves, especially considering how they started this tournament with almost going down and looking like they were going to go down to another 16th seed in the first uh, half of that game. Um, They've definitely redeemed themselves making it to the Final Four. But yes, at least making it to the National Championship game could definitely be, uh, would definitely be icing on the cake for the redemption from what happened last year. Without giving away your prediction here, Jason, what does Virginia have to do to beat Auburn? Uh, score more points. Um, and, and, and honestly, it's, it, it is. It's score more points. That, that Auburn team's got nothing to lose. They're not supposed to be there. Um, if Auburn has it close at the 10-minute mark in the game, Auburn will win that game. But if Virginia can play an up-tempo game, not let Auburn control it, and get out and get that those fast transition points that they're capable of. You know that's that's where the game's going to be one loss is the tempo and their transition points. 
I agree with Jason, but I'm going to say the exact opposite. Like you mentioned, Harry, this Auburn team is a very up-tempo team. The key for Virginia is going to be slowing that pace down and playing a more methodical game and also being able to be very good defensively to not allow easy transitional points. 100% agree with Brandon here. If this game is in the 50s and 60s, Virginia wins. If this game gets above 70, Virginia doesn't have a chance. Mm -hmm. Half court, half court, half court. That's how Virginia, because again, and you both said it, completely agree. You can't speed up to Auburn's pace. That's not your style. You have to slow them down to your level. Mm-hmm. See, I'm 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 the opposite of that. I think that that's that's gonna that's the key. I think Auburn's expecting them to slow slow them down and everything, but they you can't do what's expected. They're gonna see all this tape. And be like, well, we got to slow them down. But if they come back in with the game plan of slow the ball down and Virginia jumps out on them and tries to that, – that takes your whole game plan that going up to that. All the tape, you've watched and everything, and you have to play on the fly. You, you have to make adjustments on the fly. If you go in there with a game plan of we gotta, we got to have a low-scoring game, and then they come out running the ball. You're going to, it's going to catch you on your heels. That could be a quick eight point, eight ten point jump that you get right out the gate that they're not expecting you to have. To the point that I made about Auburn wanting to keep this pace high and Virginia wanting to keep this pace low. The reason I say that is because Auburn has averaged from the first round through the Sweet Sixteen because the game against Kentucky where they came from behind was kind of the anomaly. From the first round into the Sweet 16, Auburn averaged almost 85 points a game. Mm-hmm. Virginia, from the first round into the Sweet 16, only averaged about 62 points a game. I don't feel like if this game gets up into bigger numbers that it favors Virginia at all. No. I think you have to play the style Mm-mm. of basketball that Tom Bennett and Virginia is used to playing and constrict Auburn to your pace. And also, even if Auburn is going in with an idea that they're going to be expecting Virginia to slow down, them down, which they will, if if Virginia does try to speed it up, like Jason says, that's just going to play right into uh, Auburn's hands because then Auburn is going to be like, okay, this is what we're used to. We can just go back to our normal style. Exactly. 60 becomes 70, 70 to 75, and into 80 real quick. And before you know it, Virginia can easily be down 15, 20 points. Mm-hmm. But if you hop out on them, get that lead, then slow the ball down, you that you oh. got to play the mental game as well as the physical. I I see where Jason's coming yeah. from here. Jason's saying that that Virginia is going to want to play Auburn style of game to get up early and then kind of wear her down for Auburn, which I could see happening. Mm-hmm. I also don't see that working though because I don't think that I don't think that Virginia has the kind of players to run with Auburn. Yeah, I don't no. think Auburn. Without, or I don't think Virginia has that dynamic of an offense to be able to do that. Even without. Chumo Kiki for the Auburn Tigers. And that's why they're really built. They're going to be that half-court game early because Jason has the right idea of how they would be able to do it, but they really can't because, okay, say those first three minutes, five, six, eight possessions, you go back and forth. 
Virginia cannot keep that up even for a 20-minute half, let alone a game. Auburn can. That's where it's going to crack, and it would crack very, very quickly. All right, let's go back into the tournament a little bit here, gentlemen. Let's go back to the Sweet 16. And I'm going to do the same thing here that I did on last year's show. I'm going to ask you which team that made the Sweet 16 most surprised you by doing so. Jason, I'll ask you first. Um, my, I mean, Auburn. I mean, that's the team that, I mean, they come out of a strong basketball conference. You was getting all the hype going to Kentucky. Kentucky this. Oh, it's Kentucky's year. They're young. They're hungry. Everybody, you got Auburn discounted. So I'm going to go with that. I mean, I, I think that that's the team. That is the hottest right now, and I I would I would love I would probably give up my left testicle to watch an Auburn Texas Tech title game. Eric, what team that made the Sweet Sixteen surprised you the most by doing so? Personally, especially with the state of the Pac-12, Oregon, because. I never even expected them to win the Pac-12. And I thought, okay, they may pull off that upset, get into the second round, but then that be that. But to, I guess, catch fire at the right time like they did, get to the Sweet 16 and make a very solid case and have a good game to an extent even there, it's like, well, um, I know one of the big Vegas Sharps had them as, like, the surprise Final Four team mimicking a name that shall not come out of my mouth ever again. Uh, But I personally wasn't seeing it with my own two eyes. They kind of met me halfway. Brandon, which Sweet 16 team surprised you the most by getting as far as they did? Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with Eric with Oregon. Um because, yeah, it was a shocker to see them go that far. And they were a 12 seed, weren't they? Yes. So, yeah, you know, the fact that they made such a huge run. And not to mention they beat a team that I thought could make it to the Final Four in Wisconsin to start it all off. You know. Don't, don't get me started on that pick, man. I'm still pissed off about mm-hmm. that. I'm in the same bracket as you guys, but I'm slightly lower, and especially after their performance in the round of 32. My most surprising team in the Sweet 16 to me was Purdue, and the fact that they absolutely bitch-slapped the defending national champions Villanova in the round of 32 by 26 points. Klein was that kid. I just wanted to hear him say golly gee one time. He He was a pure... Pure white bread, salt of the earth, kid looks, but boy was he deadly from beyond the arc at second half in the Sweet 16. Between, yeah, between the uh, the Villanova game and then the comeback that they had against Tennessee in the, sec- in the second half of the Sweet 16 game there, you would argue that Purdue was probably the best team for those 60 minutes of the tournament here. Obviously, Purdue's luck finally ran out, finally ran out in overtime against Virginia in the Elite Eight. But 
they certainly made a case for themselves as being a potential power to come going forward coming out of the Big Ten, with most of the Big Ten being somewhat down this year, you could argue. Unfortunately, Michigan, they always find a way to break my hearts one way or another. What's next, the damn hockey team? All right, so let's run through our re-bracket that we had, and then we will make actual predictions for the Final Four. Uh, my original re-bracket, when we did at the Sweet 16, I had Duke over Virginia Tech, Michigan State over LSU, Gonzaga over Florida State, Texas Tech over Michigan, Virginia over Oregon, Purdue over Tennessee, Carolina over Auburn, Kentucky over Houston. My final four in my re-bracket were Duke, Gonzaga, Ver, uh, excuse me, Duke, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Kentucky. Obviously, I have none of those four teams still in this tournament. Brandon, let's talk about your uh, re-bracket here. Okay. Um, Duke, Virginia Tech. I had Duke. Michigan State and Louisiana State. Michigan State. And then you had Michigan State over Duke, as you yep. mentioned earlier. Gonzaga, Florida State. I think I had Gonzaga winning that game. Texas Tech, Michigan. Michigan. Gonzaga, Michigan. I believe I had Gonzaga. Virginia, Oregon. Virginia. Purdue, Tennessee. I believe I had Tennessee winning that one. Virginia, Tennessee. Virginia. North Carolina, Auburn. North Carolina. Houston, Kentucky. Kentucky. Carolina, Kentucky. Carolina. Do you remember your original re-bracket championship game? Uh, I believe it was... Uh, I believe it was Michigan State and Kentucky. Because I do know that you're the only one of the four of us that still has a team left in the, in, in the ESPN re-bracket challenge. Mm-hmm. So Sparty being your championship final would be the the proper pick there. Eric, let's go through your rebracket, shall we? Oh, do we have to? Okay. Man, yes, went, we do. I went I went seven and one in the sweet sixteen and then oh and four in the Elite Eight. You get no simpy from me, sir. Fair, fair. Duke and Vautech. I had Duke. LSU Sparty. Sparty all the way in that one. Duke and Sparty. I had Duke. Gonzaga, Florida State. Gonzaga, of course. Yeah, it's impossible for us uh, non-Florida State, Florida fans to root for the Seminoles there. Texas Tech, Michigan. I had Michigan. And I believe you had Michigan over Gonzaga. Correct. Because I believe you originally had Michigan over Gonzaga in your original bracket. Correct again. Virginia, Oregon. Muck, Michigan, and I had Virginia. That checks out, by the way. Purdue mm-hmm. and Tennessee. I had Tennessee. Hoo-ha and Tennessee. Wahoo-ha, UVA. Carolina, Auburn. I had Carolina in that one. Houston, Kentucky. I had Houston. Carolina, Houston. I had Carolina. Your original championship game was Duke and Carolina. Did that stay the same in your re-bracket? 
Yes, it did. Kept the same championship game and the same score line. Ooh. I Jason. believe I'm one of the only people who have a team left from their original bracket still in uh, the Final Four. Don't rub it in. Working yeah, you also had Seton, you also had Seton Hall beating Kentucky too. So you yes, know. yes, I know. Good with good with the bat there, Brandon. Jason, obviously you had Duke over Virginia Tech. LSU Sparty, you had Sparty, correct? Yes. And then you had Duke over Sparty in the regional final. Yes. Gonzaga, Florida State. I had Gonzaga. Texas Tech, Michigan. Michigan. Gonzaga, Michigan. Michigan Michigan over Gonzaga. Okay. Virginia, Oregon. I had Virginia. Purdue, Tennessee. I actually think I took Purdue in the re-bracket. I know I took Purdue in the re-bracket because FRT. And then I... I'm a Florida yeah. fan. I'm sure you guys can figure out what FRT stands for. Mm-hmm. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. Virginia, Purdue. Uh, I had I had Purdue. I had Purdue as well based on the performance that they had against Villanova. Yeah, I think I think because I was really pissed off about the fact that um, they ruined my entire bracket by beating Villanova. Carolina, Auburn. I had Carolina. Houston, Kentucky. I had Kentucky. Carolina, Kentucky. Carolina. I'm assuming you stuck by your original national championship game of Duke and Carolina? Yes, 88 to 86, Duke. Okay. Obviously, you guys can tell that Brandon was the only one of the four of us that had a team reach the final, that had it. His original championship team reached the championship game there. I didn't have a single team in the final four. I think Eric had one. I think Brandon had two, actually. I have two, yeah. I think you had Sparty and Virginia, but you had Kentucky in the final. No, I had North Carolina. North Carolina in the final, excuse me. Yeah. My mistake there. All right. One more thing to discuss before we give you our final four predictions, and that is the best performance in the tournament thus far. It's kind of hard to argue against a guy that has a triple-double. I'm going to go with John Morant, who proved to the NBA talent players that if he was playing against NBA competition, at least in a collegiate level, i.e. a Big East school, which would be one of the creme de la creme conferences in college basketball, that John Morant has game. The triple-double against Marquette, as we talked about, was the first one in the NCAA tournament since Draymond Green for Michigan State back in 2012. Now, they got completely curb-stomped by Florida State, don't get me wrong. But Morant's performance in that first-round game and the 19-point victory that Murray State, the Racers, had over the Eagles. Golden Eagles, I think? Yes. Yeah, Golden Eagles. Golden Eagles? Uh-huh. That was enough for me to officially establish the fact that not only is John Morant for real, but he is completely justifying of that first, that top-five overall NBA draft hype. Jason. Who is your most impressive player throughout the course of this tournament thus far? I, I'm honestly, I'm torn. I've got a 1A, 1B, but they're both from the same team. I'm going to go with Ryan Klein and Carson Edwards from Purdue. I mean, I think that those two 
were, I mean, they came out of nowhere. They played amazing. I mean, Klein's second half, that second half Klein had was phenomenal. I mean, I think he hit like six threes. He had like 24 points in the second half, career high. And, and fouled out. Yeah, and the leadership Edwards brought to that team. Um, yes, he was he was a force. He was a shooter, score, but it was just a leadership that I have to I have to give him, put him in the conversation. So I'm just going to go. I'm going to go one A one B with uh, Edwards and Klein. Fair enough description there, Brandon. I'll ask you who was your most impressive performer throughout the first four rounds of the tournament thus far. Overall, just because he had more games that he was dominant and, you know, yes, the triple-double was the, the biggest part, but he did have good games later on in the tournament as well. I have to agree with you, John Morant, but I have to give a dishonorable mention to uh, to McGee for, set, for breaking the record for most three-pointers in an NCAA tournament game. Um, but then he proceeded to fall off the off the cliff in the next game. Damn bastard! Eric, how about you? Who would you say was the most impressive performer in the first four rounds of the tournament thus far? To me, looking at John Morant out there, and not even just on the court, but even having the self awareness to know. Yeah, I am carrying my team as we go, I go. But he looked to me like, at the very least, he was a G League level player going up against college kids. That triple, like, proved that. And he was the galvanizing force all throughout. So major credit to me. Even with Zion, some moments that he had, Morant was just all around, even with that short run. I will discuss the star players for the four teams. Kyle Guy is a guard for Virginia, six foot two junior, averaged 16 points a game and 45.1% three point shooter. Auburn lost their biggest player, one could argue, in Chumo Kiki, but their backcourt has stepped up in his absence to lead them to their victory over Kentucky. It is Cassius Winston for Michigan State. We mentioned Cassius's name earlier. We did not mention his last name. It is Winston. He was the one, the driving force in their victory over Duke. And then, as we talked about earlier with Texas Tech, it is the Big 12's player of the year, Jarrett Culver, that calls the shots for them. The Final Four starts Saturday night on TBS. I think it's TBS. It's TBS, right, Eric? Or is it yeah, it, no, yeah, it's CBS. Yes, yeah, CBS. Because they were going to have a fantastic lead-in. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> Let's talk Final Four, gentlemen. Okay. I want both your predictions and your score lines for these games. You don't have to give me a final score, but I want a margin of difference. All right. Hmm. Brandon? 
Okay, uh, which game you want me to do first? Sparty and Texas Tech. Uh, I'll do... I'm going to go with Sparty. I'm keeping my original prediction. Um, and I'll say... I'll give them five. Okay. Jason. Texas Tech plus three. Eric. Sparty... They'll take it by eight. I don't trust Texas Tech enough, and especially not going up against a leadership-heavy Michigan State team led by the coach left in the tournament with by far the most experience. Yeah, I'm taking. Uh, I'm taking Sparty, and I'm saying double digits, twelve. Yeah, yeah this is Izzo's tenth Final Four. This is Texas Tech as a school. Their first ever. I do believe the only other team in this Final Four that has Final Four experience is Virginia. Mm-hmm. I do not believe Auburn has ever been to a Final Four. No, they actually, this was the first time even getting to the Elite Eight since the 80s. Back when Sir Charles Barkley played for the Auburn Tigers. Correct. Oh, God. Can you imagine his reaction? Could you imagine his reaction if they actually won it all? Oh, he'd go crazy. Bring out the chalk emojis. (laughs) The Jim Nance one is freaking hilarious. I don't care what anyone says. The the Chuck Cito. Now, I don't care what anybody thinks. If I get my hands on a Chuck Cito, damn it, I will rock that everywhere possible. I could pull that off. I like the Chuck Mochi's one with Jim Nance and hot dogs. <laughs> What's your Chuck Mochi? What's your Chuck Mochi for when you see hot dogs? Jim Nance face. Hello, Fred. <laughs> that got me. That popped me. All right. The other final four matchup is the Virginia Cavaliers out of the South region and the Atlantic Coast Conference, taking on the Auburn Tigers out of the Midwest region and the Southeastern Conference. Brandon? Uh, I... I'm going to go with Virginia, and I'll give them I'll give them six. Jason. Auburn by 12. Eric. Virginia, but I'm only going to give them three. Auburn by seven. Because I think that Virginia is going to try to play that high run game with Auburn, and it's not going to work. That would be very they, foolish of them. They're going, they're going to end up tiring themselves out, and Auburn is going to end up being able to put this game away down the stretch. I'm saying Tigers by seven. That sets up our national championship games. Brandon, you had Michigan State and Virginia. Michigan State by, I'll be kind of generous and give them 14. Wow. It's calling a Sparty blowout. Mm-hmm. Virginia's Jason, luck will run out. Jason, you have Texas Tech and Auburn in your final. Auburn, 18. Mm, that I definitely don't see because 
regardless of which team makes it out of the other side of the bracket there, I think that both of these, all four of these teams are going to be worn down to the point that we don't get a blowout in the national title game. Well, I, I, you can't, don't stop believing. I'm, I'm all, I'm above, I'm all on the Auburn hype train right now. Okay. Do you love me? Are you riding? Yeah, but what if you all of a sudden saw, like, Drake wearing his Auburn shirt? Then what? Someone should shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just want him shot on general principle, but especially if he wears Auburn gear. All right, let's move on. Eric, you you had Michigan State and Virginia as well. Damn it, how did his character in Degrassi end up in a wheelchair? I gotta look that up now. I feel like he was hit by a car. Uh, I'm not sensing a blowout, but Sparty does take it all, especially with Magic in attendance. They win it by nine. Jason, I feel like we did this last year as well. It was those two on one side of the bracket and us on the other side. (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) It happened again. But I'm I'm not saying it's a blowout. Auburn by six over Michigan State. You're the only one. You you two both have Auburn, but you guys have different uh, opponents. Opponents, yes. However, you guys both have Michigan State. We both have Auburn here. I got a question. I'm just going to throw this hypothetically out there. Auburn makes it to the title game. Does Okiki suit up for a timeout? at the end of the game, if Auburn's up, to go in and stand on the court as Auburn wins? No. 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 And the reason I say no is because he had surgery on his ACL this week. He can wear a brace. I I sincerely have my doubts that he's even at the building come Saturday night. Oh, Oh, he's going to be there. He'll be at the building, but I'm going to say this. I don't necessarily know if they would have him standing on the court as it ends. Either they do that or they pull a Willis Reed 1970 NBA Finals Game 7. Have him out there in the brace, very beginning, then sit him down. Because mm. everybody say- talks about that moment. Willis Reed hit the opening two buckets. But that was it. I, I will say, um, if they do win it all, they're definitely figuring out, out a way to get him up to cut down the net. On the uh, burner yeah. ladder, no less. They'll, they'll have... Somebody will throw his, his big ass on their shoulders <laughs> to cut it down if they have to. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say that. What I would say would happen, though, is if Auburn does win, he cuts down the last net string. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be very fitting. They might wish his wheelchair up. He not only cuts down the last net string, he's also the first one to hoist the trophy above his head. And I put the Bruce Pearl crying level at about four inches. (laughs) It it floods floods the court. (laughs) It does. Facts. That or Bruce Pearl... That or Bruce Pearl actually does pull a Jim Valvano and just runs around looking for somebody to hug. You know, <laughs> or both. 
I would I would hug him. Do you know how hard it was for me? Jesus, you can't set up certain jokes in my damn head, okay? Oh, we've broken Eric. We are, we we both we all understand your wheelchair porn obsession, Eric. Look, no jokes needed. Look, I only had two videos. Some of those are hard to find, okay? Not for lack of trying on certain nights when I'm in the mood for certain shenanigans. Sometimes <laughs> when you're me, and now that I'm Hey, we got all the way to the end. <laughs> we got the family show. I let that run a little bit longer than I probably should have, and for that I apologize to our listeners. I think that's a new record for how long it's taken before we've gotten into Eric's shenanigans on a show. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's weird. Well, anybody I, listening, if you bet the over, damn it, you're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of which, where can people bet the over on things, Eric? Well, where else are you going? MyBookie.ag. You follow? You First of all, you get MyBookie.ag. You get a 50% bonus with your first deposit when you use the code PAT. Then you go ahead and you download the Action Network app so you can track your bets on MyBookie. If you're going to be for the brand, go all in, do it the right way. Hashtag Green Dot City. You know, Eric, you know what's what? funny, Eric? I, I actually saw a MyBookie.ag uh, um, uh, poster board during a grappling uh, tournament I was watching. And I popped for it. There, I saw mybookie.ag. I ran across that while I was at work just this week. So I'm like, okay, okay. All but part you know of the what's plan. Even better? You know it's even better than mybookie.ag? That's if you go over to SeatGeek and you purchase tickets so you can watch the Final Four and the National Championship game. Yes, go over to SeatGeek.com. <laughs> Not only will you get the best seats in America, you might get the best seats on the moon. I mean, if they scan all of the other ticket apps so you know that you're getting the best. And, uh, yeah, there might there was one, secretly maybe still two, promo codes that you could use for that to get some discounts. But we're just saying. <laughs> because, you know, what's better, what's better than giving the gift of memories? Why go out and spend fancy dinners and everything when you can go out and make memories? You know, I had a guy, he had a, um, had a family reunion. He took his whole, whole family out, $7 tickets to see a hockey game. That's memories you'll never get back. And that's hockey talk. We are just turning into a bunch of shells, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you like how me and Eric done that scene. We we bounced off each other and got through got through some sponsorships. I'm just saying if you wanna if you wanna sponsor the kickoff, hit us up. Yeah. ATB the Eagle at Yahoo.com, S.Garmer at gmail.com, put in your little message window there, sponsorship for kickoff. We'll hook you up, don't worry. We got you. Even if you don't, we'll probably if you if we just come across your stuff, we might give you free advertisement. You know, it depends on mine and Eric's mood of the night. Exactly. Well, I, if you if you have stuff that I like, I'm not always no free ads. 
I mean, I I put over USA Today earlier, so I ain't got no room to talk. I think Brandon's the only one who hasn't shilled anything yet tonight. Nope. Brandon, sneak one in. I don't know what to show right now. I know something that Brandon can show right now. Aloe vera, because I have burned his ass multiple times today. (laughs) (laughs) And see, I mean, if you were the type of guy sometimes who gets into shenanigans that I am, there's this great site called Minivids. You may or may not oh, see me on one of those videos. No, no, family show. <laughs> I draw the line. No. Well, it was for his bagpipe playing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, there were definitely there were definitely pipes and whistles being uh, played, but yeah. none of them were related to Scotland. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to go. Where was a bag being played with? <laughs> well, it wasn't, but I mean, technically, I am part okay, of Okay, wrap up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. We I gotta officially... go. We have officially we have... completely gone off the rails. We have officially fonzied on this episode of March Madness to the Max 2, Electric Boogaloo 2. We Just jumped the off. All right, so... Hopefully you guys enjoy the semifinals in the national championship game. I will admittedly be watching what I can of both, but the Raw after WrestleMania calls my name on Monday. So if anything, mm-hmm. the national championship game will be on my tablet. Yeah, I have wrestling for both Saturday and Monday. So uh, It all depends on who makes the national championship game if I watch it. Well, since I don't have my desired programming that's going to be on this weekend, I think I can tune into the Final Four on the very least on Saturday. Speaking of that desired programming, do another show here on the W2M Network as well that it doesn't focus on college basketball. It focuses on the world of professional football. We call it the kickoff. Uh, if only. Although this does mean I have my idea... And it can be in play once again. I will hang on to that. The NFL draft. I say we all go to Buffalo Wild Wings and just beat the hell out of a dishwasher. (laughs) I mean, no, we could talk about doing that because that makes it premeditated. Well, I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to be there. He can be off covering some game in the middle of some field right by the Buffalo Wild Wings, and we just give him extra dishes to do while we're sitting there. He's going to be covering a Division Three women's lacrosse tryout league for the third I don't even know. It's it's the pointless. I'm not giving him any more credit. I was, I took the high road. I gave him an opportunity. He fucked us all. Here's the the thing here. Eric, he'll be subtle. Jason will be kind of subtle. I won't. Fuck you, Steven. There you go. Fair enough. (laughs) No. Because one, he's not my type, and <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be the best looking thing he could ever get. <laughs> America. All right, mm. let's talk kickoff, gentlemen. The NFL draft preview edition of the kickoff comes to you guys the week before the draft, probably the Wednesday night before the, the first round on Thursday. 
My guess would be is we'll probably set up something for the 25th for that, I believe it would be. Either the 24th or the 25th. We'll have to get the dates officially worked out, but I believe it's either the 24th or the 25th. I think it's the 24th. It is the 24th. The 25th is that Thursday. And then that 25th will be the opening round of the NFL draft, the live 8 o'clock p.m. coverage on ESPN NFL Network. And I think Fox is simulcasting it as well once again. Our draft preview comes at you on April 24th. Our draft review will come at you on May the 1st. We will talk about who we thought were the biggest winners and losers of the NFL draft, what players we think will make the biggest impacts in their rookie year, and much the same way we did for last year's draft, we'll probably do a fantasy draft as far as picking teams of three or four rookies each on who we feel will have the best statistical lines throughout the course of their rookie NFL season. After that, the kickoff then goes on to vacation until August when we come back with our college football, NFL, AFC, NFL, NFC, and NFL postseason previews. Those will be in the month of August. Stay tuned for times and dates for those. We'll get you guys more specific once we have them nailed out. But the next time you will hear from the four of us will be on April 24th with the NFL Draft preview edition of the kickoff here on the W2M Network. So, for the chairman of the W2M Network, Jason Peasley, the executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins, the co-host turned executive producer, Brandon Biscabing, I'm Harry Broaders, thanking you for listening to March Madness to the Max 2, Electric Boogaloo 2, here on the W2M Network, online at W2Mnet.com. Com and available on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms, such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox, Stitcher. Hey, Brandon, guess what? Spotify is here. And Glacier's still a dick. And fuck you, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys for your NFL draft preview on the kickoff on the W. Next.